Million Dollar Agent, the podcast. We've been amazing, guys. We're not missing any weeks. Like every week we're giving people a dose of uh, MDA. I don't know how good a dose it is, but they are getting a dose of MDA. And there's no better feeling than to deliver a podcast today with both John and Troy. Um, let's, let's, let's not pat ourselves on the back for doing what we're meant to be doing. <laughs> Actually, that's a very good point. When we, do, when, we do, when we do two in a week, let's give ourselves a pat on the back. But until then, it's good to see you all again, boys. Uh, obviously, neither of you two want to talk too much about the NRL, so perhaps we can uh, wow. go through that. You may have been uh-huh. out of the street team rep- represented on today's panel. I suspect there was only one that was... Uh, Flying the flag on the weekend, Troy. I think Roosters should be starting to prepare for 2024. You've got. Oh, uh, oh, it's uh, too early. It is way too early in the season. Even Tom. Well, they did, they did get beat 48 points or something on the weekend. I'd love, I'd love, I would love the Tigers to have a crack at the Roosters at the moment. I would love <laughs> to. But I have to say, I'm, I'm going to talk about leadership before we kick off the podcast. Um, the Roosters coach has done something that I don't see many coaches do. On the press conference afterwards, um, oh, Troy, what's his first, What's his name again? I had a mental blank. Brent Robinson. Brent Robinson. He says, I want to let you know, I don't think I had the team prepared well enough for the last two weeks. I'm taking responsibility um, on it um, and uh, it's my problem and I've got to fix it. You very rarely hear a coach actually say that and I was, you know, quite interested um, to hear him, it was. I mean, I was just walking past the TV when I heard it, so I might have missed bits to it. Um, but that is a that is a sign of a great leader to turn around and 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 accept some sort of responsibility than blaming the players all the time. I think it's actually bigger than that, Tom. I think I think a lot of the time um, in life, people taking extreme ownership and responsibility and accountability um, is sometimes lacking in this modern world. I think there's always a reason or an excuse that we can make in many circumstances, but the reality is I think he showed on the weekend that he's human and he was accountable to the responsibility they had to the team and to also the club. So full credit to him, but hopefully um, the two-week cycle is out of the way and we're back on track from now. Uh, he, he's a class act, Trent Robinson, on the field, off the field. Mm. Uh, and you're right, Troy, there's a good leadership lesson for business. Is when, when things go right, um, blame your team. When things go wrong, blame yourself. Good leadership 101. I like that very much. Um, I'm actually, I might just check your email address. So I'm going to send some Rabbitohs uh, membership uh, applications around to the two of you uh, because I think, you know, you may as well both be aiming for 2024 and getting on the bunnies bandwagon um, because I think they are in form that is very hard to beat. But anyway, remember this episode. episode. They're actually actually great. Listen, after the Tigers, if you actually ask me which games I I do like watching Souths play. They're actually an exciting team to play because they sort of, they press a button and they just, you just feel like they're driving a V8 but they're driving it as a four-cylinder. You just feel like oh, a... Yeah, no, no disrespect to your team, but obviously that there appeared going into the into the match against the Tigers quite an imbalance in terms of form and and how both teams were playing, and, and uh, it was tight up until towards the end. I don't want to be rude, but I think South were just like in first gear, and then you saw this moment, I think it was about 12 minutes to go, 
and they kind of shifted up again and then bang, without before you knew it, they'd put on two or three extra tries and they'd almost done it without trying. But, um, yeah, no, as I said to you on text after the game, Tommy, Tigers stood up last three weeks. They played. It's a whole new team. So uh, we hope that continues for all the Tigers fans out there. But today, Tommy, I think we're going to talk about deal-making, what kills deals, what makes deals, because I think on the weekend you were saying that you had a couple of pass-ins and the kind yeah. of buyers almost evaporated over the weekend by the time they vendor decided to take the offer. The buyers were backtracking. Yeah. So um, I think that a good title, and Susan, it's in the background, a good title for this is deal-making versus order-taking because the agent rang me up this morning at 10 o'clock and he said, oh, man, I should have I should have pushed harder and got that deal accepted. And I said, why is that? He goes, oh, you know, the $1,350 um, is not there anymore. And the owners have come back this morning, said that they thought about it over the last 48 hours and they want to take it. And I had another one that was very similar to that. So, you know, and it's and, it, and it's quite amazing. It's, you know, it's only one extra deal a month, that's 12 a year, that can make a significant difference to your output. And what's interesting is that deal normally gets another deal. So it's more than just the 12 deals. It's probably another 20 or 30 deals. So I thought we'd use this podcast in this market. We know that fear of missing out is not there like it was or is during booms. We know that there's a little bit of uncertainty, both parties. So what are the signs and qualities of great deal makers slash negotiators? Because I think um, it's it's one of the same. So guys, over to you. And you've seen John, you know, you're four decades in real estate. You've probably seen some great deal makers. They've just got this ability to put a deal together. Yeah, th- look, thanks, Tom. Thousands of deals. I'll just give you a few insights then hand over to Troy for his experience because he's had a lot of great experience as well. Um, first thing is, uh, you know, whether you call this um, managing expectations, whether you call it educating or aligning, the process of taking control of the sale is one of the most critical skills imaginable, both on the buy side and the sell side because both, you know, you, the, the agent in the middle has obviously got to bring the parties together and we're paid for by the vendor to bring it together at the highest outcome for the vendor. But um, I, I think a lot of people, they get carried away at the listing. They get carried away when a buyer shows interest. They get carried away to the negative when a buyer drops off. You know, you've, you've just got to have a professional, calm approach that, that manages both sides because, you know, I've had many of an auction, Tommy, where I've had 20, 20 contracts out and 20-second inspections and, you know, a vendor can easily go from uh, in control to out of control and then all you need is a bit of bad luck and you need a number of people get cold feet and drop off at the last minute for whatever reason and you can lose what should be a really great sale and you can lose it. So I think first thing to remember is the deal happens or doesn't happen, and this can this actually um, goes for listings and for sales, well before the moment that you think it happens or doesn't happen. Yeah. So what does that mean? So you might think the auction is when the deal comes together or falls over. I think prior to the listing or at the listing is when the deal comes together or doesn't most of the time. Depending on the way you position it, the vendor paid marketing you extract, um, the you know whether to style it or not, the way the vendor, you know, you can compliment the vendor on the property without getting carried away. Yeah, you know, th- these are all important things to manage along the way. And of course, the same on the buy side. Yeah, you need you need to manage the buy side and keep them keep them progressing nicely. 
So I think it's really important to remember that every step of the way, um, everything you say, everything you don't say, is pretty critical to bring it together because if a vendor is at the right level come auction day or not at the right level, as you found out on the weekend, Tommy, or your agents found out, is really, really critical. Time kills deals, Troy, as we often talk mm. internally about. So if a negotiation lasts too long, either on the buy side takes too long or the sell side, deals can just fall over like like a, I was going to say hot potato, probably cold potato. They can just fall in a heap. And so I think, therefore, you want to keep both sides educated as to what needs to happen to bring the deal together. You need to keep a level of pressure, and I'm, I'm wanting a better word um, than that for a minute because pressure sounds like it's a negative influence, but you want to keep some level of maybe momentum going because, you know, I, I tell both sides, get, you know, get on your skateboard and get to your solicitor ASAP because people can change their mind. And I just like everyone having a little bit of nervousness because that has them perform at their best. Um, you know, if people start getting complacent, oh, great, you know, let's get us a champagne out, we've sold the property, oh, you, all you've really got is offering acceptance, mm. and that can, that can be retracted in five minutes. So I think time kills deals, remember that. Uh, remember that the deal happens or doesn't happen usually well before the moment that you think it does or doesn't happen. I think that's really important. Um, I, I agree with you, Tom. I mean, I love what you gave to Susan, order takers versus negotiators or dealmakers because a lot of people coming out of this boom that we've been in for many of the last four or five years, they've just become order takers. They've become lazy. They haven't done the management of expectation. They've they've just sort of turned up, opened the property, let people through, and it's almost sold despite them, not in because of them. And in some instances now, some markets actually need a more high-quality deal-making. So I think uh, manage the emotions. <coughs> I also and think, Troy, another hand over to you on this, but Troy's yeah, a bit creative. Yeah. Sorry, I, I was going to say, John, you've taken the words out of my mouth um, in regards to being creative in your approach. It's amazing how many times, Tom and John, we walk into properties as auctioneers and just give a different lens about the opportunity that's there. And you can realise that even though the sum of money may seem like a little bit away off from where the reality of what the vendor is willing to accept, if you break that down to percentage terms or look at the flexibility of deposit or release of deposit or settlement terms, it's actually not insurmountable to get those deals done. So I think you do have to have a level of creativity amongst deals right now. I think you need to realize the opportunity for those buyer sellers in the market right now. If they find something that they love and buy, they will sell. So I think there's that opportunity. John, <clears throat> I like the words patiently persistent. And I think successful deal makers right now, if there's a level of um, persistency in the nature. It deals can take time, but if you are patiently persistent in the way you approach both buyer and seller and giving them time and the space to make those right decisions, you're always going to be ahead of someone that seems to be stressed and pressured. John, you've always mentioned to me in the past that words and language is extremely important and can change lives. It's amazing the amount of times during deal making that saying the right thing at the right time gets a completely different result for the positive as opposed to yep. saying the wrong thing at the wrong time to kill the deal. Um, it always goes back to, though, if you've got a brand, and I think of some of the great agents we always work with, it always comes back to the fact that if you build a rep reputation of honesty and integrity, you're going to be much further ahead of the competition because people are going to trust you right from the word go. 
Yeah, yeah I've got to try. Go try. Go try. Spot on. I want to. So I just thought about there's another variable in this transaction, and um, it was in the campaign early on. A mm. buyer had flirted with an offer that never actually eventuated, but they were talking higher than the one million three fifty. So. A lot of the times, the way an agent handles offers during the campaign, because the owners did say to me, but we had $1,370,000 in the second week, but it really wasn't an offer. It just wasn't managed well. And then the, uh, the other thing that I heard is, oh, in the report, you said another buyer had a had a budget of $1.6 um, It didn't mean that they were going to spend one six on that house, but it's interesting how sometimes vendors read reports and say, oh, well, this this buyer's got a budget up to 1.6, right? So I just think that we need to take into account that don't make the assumptions that vendors think firstly the way that that you do, that you've got to sort of sit there and explain. But on your point, John, I think that 95% of deal making is the process leading up to the negotiation, right? It's not like you're going to come up with this incredible silver bullet line that knocks everyone off their feet. I think the bottom line is if vendor reports are going out at one, two, one, three, and you're giving them all the feedback as it's coming through and you're having these frequent touch points with them and you manage that offer at 1,370,000 and we're able to explain, well, it's not really an offer because they're not prepared to sign a contract, so we've got to scrape that away, all of a sudden, one million three hundred and fifty looks like it's a good figure, so you can put a deal together. So I think um, yeah. process is very important, but also, John, that that book, Troy, maybe oh, one of one of you have talked about a book, um, care but don't care too much, because I actually think people that yeah. put deals together don't come across as too desperate and commission breath. You know, um, yeah. who's who's the author of that book, John? Do you remember? Yeah, Herb, Herb Cohen. Herb, Herb Cohen. Cohen. Yeah, it was a book called um, You Can Negotiate Anything. And that was the number. When I met him in face, uh, face-to-face, face, he said to me, I said, what's your number one negotiation tip? And he said, care, but not that much. So what, what, what he was meaning there is you're right, it's the opposite of commission breath. Sometimes when you take away the opportunity and just say, Tom, look, it looks like we're not going to come together on this property. You know, we're 50000 apart, and I totally respect that you you can't see your way to coming up. And, and the vendor was immovable at the figure. So well, why don't we just set aside some time next week to go and have a look at some other properties? That dialogue is going to get you better than just hammering away, hammering away, trying to get them up in most instances. So you've, you've got to develop that as a skill. Um, I liked your point, Troy, about trusted advisor. Build credibility because you need to know when you make a final recommendation that it's coming from a place of, um, you've been consistent, you've been honest, you've been transparent, you know, you haven't been all over the place, you haven't been pushy, you haven't had any self-interest. So I think that's a really good point, Troy, you made. Uh, care, but not that much, definitely critical. You've got to remember, though, um, Tommy, when you say often feedback's in the 1.2 to 1.3, generally that's the best feedback. Mm-hmm. Often the other feedback is from people that actually didn't see even at those levels so mm. some agents think they're doing the right job by the client because something you now let's say the client's looking for 1.4 for example that wouldn't be uncommon um so they want to get as close to that figure so they kind of look good and sound good but in actual fact if most of the people are at 1.1 to 1.2 
you know, it's important that the client understands that because if you lose 1325 on the day, that might be the only time you get offered 1325. You know, it might be, as you found out on the weekend, Tommy, it might be going south from there once competitive tension dissipates and, uh, you know, everyone calms down and the adrenaline goes back into place. It can be a situation. So I always, again, prepare the client in advance of the auction, just saying, Tom, we're going to have a window of opportunity to take it, take advantage of the competitive tension that I've been building towards. We don't have long. We'll have moments. It's going to feel like seconds. It'll be probably minutes. But what I want to do is start having a conversation about, you know, at what level I believe we should be putting the property on the market. Now, a lot of agents think they're doing, oh, let's just put the reserve at 1.4 so that's we can protect you and if it passes in. But what the, all they're doing is actually pushing the client further away from the reality of the market. Mm. So I, I do think, you know, you've got to have those calm, sober conversations with the client in a trusted advisor voice and energy. And the last thing I'll just add there, which I just touched on there, is competitive tension. The greatest negotiator is another buyer's interested. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing, you know, all of a sudden someone won't go above 125, I won't spend another cent, and then you've got another offer of 127, and then the buyer comes back in with 127.50. Now, m- from my perspective, this is one of the most misused or abused parts of the industry because agents will often manufacture an offer that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Just to be very, very clear, and we all agree on this, the three of us, this is not something you manufacture. It's either there or it's not. You need transparency, honesty, and integrity and credibility, in my opinion. So if you, you know, just inventing an offer, it just, it's not worth the commission, seriously. So my, my view is that, um, you know, you have to remember the competitive tension is a wonderful thing for maximising price. You must remember that caring but not that much is a tool in your toolbox that you should use when, when and if you, it's important. I think you should remember that credibility and trusted advisor energy is critical all along the way, not just the last five minutes of the deal, but all along the way, just staying consistent, feeding them back, good quality intel and innovation. I think you have to remember time kills deals, that I'm not saying you rush anyone, but you need to prepare them for the fact that there are moments in a negotiation that the deal happens or it falls over. Buyers Mm. won't wait forever. Sellers won't wait forever. So there's a bit of a, a reasonable window usually within a negotiation that you're looking to close it. Otherwise, people start, they get buyer's remorse. They say, oh, it's a good thing they didn't take my offer because, you know, I drove past yesterday and the road's busier than I thought and, you know, there was lots of noise in the background and, I you know, I think it's probably a good thing that they knocked us back. Now then the phone call comes in and says, great news, Tom. I think your offer's accepted. You've got a, you've got a negative spin on that, right? which is probably what happened on the weekend with your client. So, uh, yeah, creative deal-making, uh, really, really important. So hopefully today there's been a few little pearls of wisdom, Troy, as they say in the classics. That might That's it. People That's it. it. There's a bit of a trend. I mean, everything we've discussed this week, I'm starting to notice a real trend for the most successful agents across the industry is they seem to be resetting expectations with clients, both buyers and sellers, every single time they have a conversation with them. They're not just doing it once during the campaign and forgetting about it because they know how dynamic and ever-changing the landscape is for certain properties. 
And so if they've got, if they actually have multiple parties interested, well, they're resetting expectations to adjust the buyer's expectations of what they need to do to secure the property. On the other side, if it hasn't met the owner's expectations, well, they're resetting those every single week or every single conversation to make sure that people know what the real, the reality of their situation and their campaign is right now. True fear of loss and fear of loss and social proof. I was just, I'll, I'll, I'll never, I'll never forget. In the early 90s, just after the boom, there we were in Marrickville and Enmore with my business partner selling real estate. And I'll and, and firstly, I want to just reiterate what John just said there. We are not talking about creating artificial offers. In fact, as far as I'm concerned, 95% of buyers that are given a response by an agent, oh, thanks for that offer. We've already we 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 already had an offer of that level, right? Ninety five percent of people don't believe that, right? They they don't believe it for lots of reasons. One of the reasons is that we haven't scored well in reputation, so they automatically associate. I expect that, right? But John and Troy, I'll never forget. We had this property in Holmesdale Street, Marrickville. I was rushing to go off on a long uh, long weekend, and I'd organise to have three or four buyers, one to look at it at 3 o'clock, one to look at it at 3.15, and one to look at it at 3.30. And that was like a realisation, having those three people at the house in a marketplace back then where rates were 18%, there was just no, no urgency at all. It was early 91. And then I thought to myself, it makes a lot of sense to actually try and bunch your buyer appointments at the one time because social proof, you're not saying, oh, we've well, got an offer of that person, but just the observation of having people there. And Troy, you know, as an auctioneer, it's not a great look when you've got one buyer bidding and no one else there. The power in the negotiation shifts. It's good to have people around there, people to talk to, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, I was talking to someone, uh, Troy, I don't think you were there. It was Con, actually. No, you weren't there. Uh, I was talking to Con on Friday. And he said that uh, Alex Phillips um, was doing a presentation and he was listening and, and Alex said um, often he and his team will have up to 10 or 11 buyers to the photo shoot at the same time or across a half-hour window to see it because you've often got it looking at its best, it's behind the scenes, peak peak behind the curtain stuff. And, uh, you know, that, that's from Australia, who's, who's going to be speaking at ARIC, by the way. Everyone's got to get to ARIC. We're down to the last few hundred tickets. But, uh, uh, yeah, that's one of Alex's strategies is, you know, it hits the market. We get on the phones. We create interest. We try and identify the top, you know, six to 12 buyers. And why not get them through at the photo shoot to give them a look before it hits the market? So, uh, yeah, I think, look, amongst that, if, if you if you replay this, Edition because it is one of those ones with lots of little tips. I think it's worth replaying. Um, I think you'll find that there are some things to be done there. Eric is two weeks to the day, less one day. I don't know how you say that, but two weeks to the day. We're down to the last few hundred tickets. Uh, I think we're about 85 to 90% sold. So love to have everyone there. That greatest of all times panel, I think last week, Troy, you said that was one you're looking forward to the most going to be extraordinary, really going to be extraordinary. So um, everyone, get there, get on the uh, aricconference.com.au website, buy your ticket, and we look forward to seeing you up there. John and Troy, have you seen uh, Ryan Serhant was kind enough to actually uh, do a video uh, for Aric, and uh, I watched it uh, the other day, and um, I have to say, 
if you're someone that wants to improve your negotiation ability, be able to put more deals together, get better at being able to deliver bad news in a positive way, which we often have to do in our in our markets at the moment. Um, between Tom Ferry, Ryan Serhan, and I, 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 the thing I find fascinating about Ryan Serhan, he's not the guy that just shoots off the, the normal one-liners. He actually raises some interesting things. Like one of the things he's talking about is uh, the incidents of billionaires wanting to negotiate with text messages, right? And um, I, I, I can see the value in that. Like they don't want to get on and have a five-minute conversation with someone when they know they can send it off in, in 10 seconds. And also that specialist speaker that we've got that masters fierce conversations and I keep... Uh, yeah, Susan, uh, Scott. Susan Scott. Susan Scott. I, I, I think if you're an agent right now that wants to put more deals together... Forget about the other 20 speakers. Those three people alone are going to actually help you grow up, you know, to, 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 to get serious about real estate. And that doesn't include, I mean, I know this is an infomercial, but I've sat through and watched some of the presentations the agents from Australia and New Zealand are doing. And tomorrow I'm going to be watching, is it tomorrow? Yes, Shane Brocklebank. He's going to do a, a prezzo. And I've got to tell you, if you see how Shane Brocklebank never loses a listing based on commission, just replicate what he says. I saw um, Kate Ashton deliver how she does 100 sales, lost 30 kilos, transformed her life. John and Troy, I've got to tell you, some of these agent speakers, this is the first time I've watched their prezos and I thought to myself, actually, they don't need much feedback here. They've nailed it. Get more listings, get more sales, get yourself structured in a way, get your mind right. And um, 13 days to go is the easiest way to say it, John. Um, Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I can't Two weeks think of one day. 13 days sounds <laughs> better. So get on to get your tickets. I, I, I'd hate you to be texting one of the three of us saying, can you can you get us in the back door because we've missed out because we are literally limited um, by uh, health and safety standards as the number of people we can have there. And as I said, I think we're about 85 88% gone and most of the tickets sell out in the next week or so. So get in there. We look forward to seeing you, and we will be back same time, same place next week. So just so everyone clear, arecconference.com.au is the URL, arecconference.com.au. Troy, who are you playing next week, Troy? I don't know. I'm done. I'm playing for 2024. 2024. You heard it from John to start. The tie. We're playing the tie. Building. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. All right. See you next week.